0: at Calvary, there my Savior died, he took my place and by his grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing,
1: life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here who shall not taste of death, till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his death which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. and when they were awake they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. And while he was thus speaking, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared it as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close, and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. And the Lord Jesus and the disciples came down from the mountain and found nine disciples trying to cast the demons out. And the father of this boy said, I beseech you, look upon my son. He's my only son. He's my only child. And he's demon-possessed. And I besought your disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Then the Lord rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith and delivered this boy from the demons. They were all amazed at the mighty power of God and yet they were wondering, every one of them, all the things which Jesus did and said to his disciples.
0: Welcome to The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our name, The Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Dr. Mitchell continues from his last lesson here in Luke chapter 9, verse 27 through 36. Here Luke writes of the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ on what most believe to be Mount Hermon, northeast of Galilee. And Luke lists the three disciples, Peter, John, and James, in this name order. But in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew, it is different. Now, Peter himself speaks of Jesus's transformation in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Because being one of the eyewitnesses of his majesty, he writes to declare that they had not followed cleverly devised myths, but were personally present with Jesus when he was transfigured. But then Peter goes on to admonish you and me that we have a more sure and certain reality of the truth in the divinely inspired word of God, which has greater authority than any personal experience even of this kind. Well, here's Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast.
1: We rejoice again in the privilege of bringing to you the study of the Word of God and we are in the Gospel through Luke chapter 9. We've been dealing in our last lesson with the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who are just tuning in, may I say we have come to the middle of the book of Luke where you have the change in the attitude and ministry of our Lord after he had the confession from Peter, the answer by revelation, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, which was followed by the revelation of his discipleship. Pardon me. First of all, the first announcement of his death, he's going to suffer and die and be raised again from the dead. Followed by his disciples, those who were real disciples, the revelation of of his followers, and then the marvelous revelation of his return to the earth. And we're dealing with this in the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Uh, There be some standing here, said our Lord, who shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Or as Matthew says, till they see the, the, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, and here, Luke says, about an eight days afterwards, while the Lord was praying, his face was changed, his countenance was like the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And Peter, James, and John saw the Lord coming in his kingdom. In other words, the transfiguration of Christ is a miniature picture of the coming of the Lord or a premature picture of the coming of the Lord in glory. And the doctrine of it, the transfiguration, is the coming of the Lord in glory to reign as we find in second peter chapter 1 and john chapter 1 verse 14 where john says we beheld his glory and moses was a picture of dead saints raised and with the lord when he comes elijah was a picture of living saints translated and with the lord when he comes and remember these two men are still alive after 1500 years for moses and approximately a thousand years Maybe 800 to 1,000 years for this man, Elijah. And the time of the transfiguration is after six days, or about an eight days. As Luke says, we've had the history of the world for 6,000 years. has been one of trouble, of trial, of affliction, of sorrow, war, death, misunderstandings, you name it. That's the history of man. Thank God there's going to be an end to that. And when our Lord comes, he's going to set up a reign of righteousness when the poor man will have justice and equity, when the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and when nations will learn war no more. One thousand years of real peace, of righteousness reigning among men. I tell you, friend, we can long for that day, can we not? As we think of times today, we can really say with John, even so come, Lord Jesus. And then we said the test of the transfiguration was to the character of our Lord. He was, it was the test of his holy, righteous, sinless character. And as we quoted in from the Scriptures, our Lord was without sin. He did no sin. In him is no sin. And he knew no sin. And he challenged his enemies, which one of you convicteth me of sin? If you want to find that and I'm glad to give you the verses again in case you didn't get them we have them in 2 Corinthians 5:21 he knew no sin in Hebrews 4:15 he was without sin in 1 Peter chapter 2:22 on he, he did no sin and in 1 John 3, 5, i read in him is no sin and in John 8:46 he challenges enemies which one of you convinceth me of sin Now we come to the theme of the transfiguration, and Luke is the one who gives that to us in verse 31. And we read in verse 30, And behold, there talked with Jesus two men, which were Moses and Elias, and who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, his departure, or using a simple word, his death, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. The theme of the transfiguration is the reconciling, redeeming work of our Savior at the cross. Now notice what it says. They speak of his departure, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Moses did not talk, the discussion was not concerning Moses and how he brought Israel out of Egypt, or of the wonderful miracles that God performed in splitting the Red Sea, or bringing water from the rock or the quail from heaven or the crossing of the Jordan. Uh, nothing was said about all the miracles that were performed in Egypt or in the wilderness. They talk concerning his decease, his departure, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Neither did Elijah talk about what he went through. for you remember Elijah was one of the great prophets of God, very spectacular. He was the man who shut the heavens. This is the man who was used to raise the dead. And this is the man who brought water from heaven, opened the heavens again. And this is the man who was translated that he should not see death and so on. No, they didn't talk about their miracles or what happened in their life. They talked about Jesus Christ's decease or his departure which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Again, I say, Moses was a picture of the great lawgiver, and Elijah represented the prophets. The great theme of the lawgiver, and the great theme of the prophets is the one whom they engaged upon in his transfiguration, Jesus Christ, and they talked about not the coming glory, but they talked about his coming death. My friend, may I say that the great theme, central theme of all scripture, is the death and resurrection of Christ. The theme, uh, the center of all time and history and through eternity. In fact, when you come to the book of Revelation, you find the great theme of the saints of God in heaven is, for thou hast redeemed us by thy blood out of every kindred, nation, tongue, and tribe. Oh, I wish we could spend time here. An amazing thing, the central theme of all history and of all time is his death which he should accomplish. May I remind you of John chapter 10, verse 18, where our Lord said, concerning his death, I have power to lay down my life, and I have power to take it again. No man taketh it from me, for I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And if you read in John's Gospel, chapter 19, when our Lord died, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. No man taketh my life from me. Our Lord's death was not only natural in that he died because of sin, your sin and my sin, but his death also was supernatural. No one took his life from him. You remember when they came and they found Jesus dead? They broke the bones of the thieves on each side of him. And when they came to the Savior, they found him already dead. And then a Roman soldier took a spear and pierced his side. He wanted to make sure, apparently, but he was dead. Friend, do you ever stop to think of it? The Savior's life was not only natural, but it was supernatural. And may I say, his death was prophesied centuries before. In fact, if I may quote from 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 18 on, I read, He was as a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world and was manifest in these last times for us, who by him do believe in God, who raised him from the dead, that your faith and your hope might be in God. No, friend, this was no accident. Jesus Christ knew why he came. He knew When he would die, he said to his disciples at the Passover time, in two days, in two days, the Son of Man shall be crucified. Then I read that the leaders of Israel had a committee meeting to put him to death. They said, but not on the feast. They said they would kill him. Jesus set the time of his death. Now you and I can't do that. He did that. He didn't commit suicide, he didn't blow his brains out. He just bowed his head and yielded up the spirit. You can't do that. His death was supernatural. In the purpose of God, way back in the council chambers of God before there ever was an earth, before there ever was a race of people, our Lord, in the purpose of God, was going to come into the human race. and He was gonna die he was going to be crucified. He set the time when he would die. He informed us how he would die. The leaders didn't inform us on that. Jesus informed us on that even before his death. In fact, he could say to his disciples, we go to Jerusalem for the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and crucified. Then he could say in two days, the Son of Man is going to be crucified. And when I come to the transfiguration of Christ, I read that these two men, Moses and Elias, Elijah, they met with the Savior and they talked about his death, which he would accomplish at Jerusalem. So again, I say the theme of the transfiguration is the death of our Savior. And how glad I am for that. You remember, you have this all through your New Testament Our Lord died for one purpose, to put away sin, by the sacrifice of himself. Do You remember in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, where he would loose his people from their sins. And in chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 9, For thou hast redeemed us by thy blood. You have it in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, when he had by himself purged our sins. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, this man, by one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Second Corinthians 5.21, He was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And one can go on in the scriptures. An amazing thing. No wonder John the Baptist could introduce him. Behold the Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. He was introduced as one who should die To put away sin, God's Lamb for you and for me. Oh, friend, listen. Have you rejected the Lamb of God? Have you spurned God's provision for your eternal need? Have you denied or rejected that provision which God has made to put away your sin, whereby you can be forgiven every sin, redeemed, set free? purchased in order to be liberated before God. No wonder, no wonder John could cry out, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I tell you, my friend, he's the only Savior, but he's a perfect Savior, he's a sure Savior, and I may add, he's a real Savior. Not only because the Bible says so, but because we experience it in our lives. And the gospel proves itself by what it does in transformed lives. May God grant you may know something about the preciousness of knowing Christ as your Savior. Now, one more thing, and that is the practical side of the transfiguration. And I read, you remember a cloud, a Peter and his the other men, James and John, were heavy with sleep, and Luke is the only one who tells us this. And they saw the Lord, and they saw Moses and Elijah. And dear old Peter, you know, I kind of like Peter when he said, Lord, it's so wonderful to be here. Here's Moses, the great lawgiver. Here's Elijah, one of the great prophets, and you were here. Now it's so wonderful, this glory, this glory, as he gazed upon the face of his Savior, transfigured. Lord, it's so good. Let, just let's stay here. Now let, I, I'll be glad to make three tenths. I'll make one for you, I'll make one for Moses, I'll make one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. By the way, you do notice something. Peter didn't say, and I'll make one for John and I'll make one for James and one for myself. Oh no, we'll we'll stay in the cloud, but you folks, I'll make a tent for you so you'll be free from the mist around you. And while he yet spake, there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. And if I may quote from the Matthew's version, chapter 17 uh, this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased hear ye him never mind moses never mind elijah my son is come you listen to what my son has to say you see friend a great many of god's people are still occupied with moses and the law of moses now i know that truth never changes And some are occupied with the prophets and what the prophets have to say. And that's good too. But listen, God says, My son has come. Never you mind Moses. Never you mind Elijah. My son has come. He's the one that you should be occupied with. And I read, They lifted up their eyes, and they saw no man save Jesus only. And may I suggest, Peter wasn't looking at John to see how he was taking it, and James wasn't looking at Peter to see how he was taking it. All three of them gazed upon the Lord, and they saw no man save Jesus only. Ah, listen, friend, our Savior has come. I'm thinking of that verse in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Do you remember it? God now is speaking to us in or through his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, (coughs) who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, I tell you, he's a wonderful savior. But may I suggest, if you really want to see him, you have to be alone. They saw no man save Jesus only. My son has come. You listen to what my son has to say. Friend, let me be very clear. God is speaking today to you through his son, Jesus Christ. And God is going to hold you responsible. What are you going to do with his son? He sent his son that you might be redeemed, that you might know him, that you might experience life eternal. Now the remarkable thing as you go on down through the passage from verse 37, you go right on down through to verse 42 and 43. And the Lord Jesus and the disciples came down from the mountain. What do you think they found? They found two things apart from the crowd. They found a great crowd there, but they found nine disciples trying to cast the demons out of a boy, and they couldn't do it. And the father of this boy uh, went right away to the Savior and said, I beseech you, look upon my son. He's my only son. He's my only child, and he's demon-possessed. And I besought your disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Then the Lord rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith and delivered this boy from the demons. You see, when our Lord comes the next time to the earth, he's going to find an earth that is more or less possessed by demoniac power. If I were to go into the book of Revelation, you remember, Satan is going to rule. The beast and the false prophet as found in Revelation 13. He's going to find a human race that defy the living God. They prefer Satan to Christ. They prefer the powers of hell to the glorious power of God. And when the Son of Man comes, as Luke 18 says, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find the faith on the earth. And here he came down from the mountain and found nine disciples trying to cast the demons out. May I suggest something to you? These nine men, these nine disciples that had the experience of casting out demons. In the preceding chapter, you remember, or... At the, at the beginning of this chapter, pardon me, at the beginning of this very ninth chapter, he sent his 12 disciples out two by two and gave them authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and so on. They'd had the experience of casting out demons. Now, all nine together couldn't cast the demons out of this boy. Sometimes I wonder if they were depending upon past experiences instead of depending upon God. How easy it is, how easy it is to get out a fellowship with God. And it's so easy when you've had some great experience like these nine men had had to depend upon past experience instead of looking to the Lord. All nine together couldn't cast the demons out of this boy. And I see the Lord rebuked them for their unbelief. You've got to walk daily with the Savior. I'm just suggesting this to you. Whatever your past experience may have been, however glorious, will not stand for today. You must walk with God today. And the Lord rebuked them for their unbelief and cast the demons out of the boy and delivered him again to his father. And as I say from again from Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes, that is, he comes to the earth, will he find faith? The intimation is. He's not going to find faith on the earth. We find a whole human race occupied with the powers of darkness. And we read, they were all amazed at the mighty power of God, and yet they were wondering, every one of them, of all the things which Jesus did and said to his disciples. I tell you, friend, it's a dangerous thing. Unbelief is a dangerous thing. You can't tamper and play loosely with the things of God, not even the disciples. Oh, I just plead with your heart today. God has made provision. He sent his son. He finished the work. And he's offering you a gift of eternal life. He's offering you divine pardon, a divine forgiveness by just putting your trust in the Savior. And you believers, you tell somebody else about your wonderful Savior today. And the Lord bless you. Help me,
0: Lord, when toil and trust. to take as from a father's hand one by one